Hello. Hello. How are you? What is up, Mad Hatter? Yeah, what is up, dude? It's been so long. I know. Like, I don't hear from you for months, and then you just call and vent to me for half an hour, and then go radio silent again. And then disappear back into the ether? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, dude, it's been literally crazy. Just hell on earth? Yeah, it's been it's been crazy like we'll we'll have to do like a class a debrief at some point to Solid. talk about all the all the spicy tea as my name suggests oh yeah and going on around these parts oh yeah i can't wait i get some of it from uh topper every once in a while okay but uh yeah it's definitely looking forward to it i know ninja would love to hear some of that as well uh, when he's able to hop on. Oh yeah, I know. I I spoke with him very very briefly the other day. Um so yeah, it's just it's definitely different times. Yeah, well that's uh that's what I've been hearing. So it's an entirely different culture. Oh, and there's Ninja. What's oh. up, man? Uh or you're coming in broken and stupid there, Ninja. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've uh, got nothing. It might be background noise coming from uh, Mad Hatter. Can you hear me now? Yeah, loud and clear. All right. Mad Hatter, can you hear him? Oh, I hear you. Okay. It's always a little tricky when you got three people on these calls rather than just two. People start talking over each other, uh, so we'll just have to be careful about that. And then uh, Ninja, as you know, just try to avoid switching tabs and apps while we're on, because as Hitman uh, learned the hard way multiple times, it drops the call. <laughs> Will it Bluetooth to my vehicle so I can drive and talk? Um, should, yeah. All right. Yeah, it should. It'll, it might hurt the audio quality, but I can you know, try and edit that a little bit. Okay. Um, so, hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining today, guys. Really appreciate it. Um, being a little flexible with my schedule too. And, uh, unfortunately Hitman is, I believe, flying right now. He's just Mr. World Traveler these days. Mr. Worldwide. (laughs) Yes, he is. Um, it's always kind of tough hosting these without him. I did one last week, just me and Topper and, uh, really we just ended up shooting the shit for like an hour and none of it was actually useful for a podcast. <laughs> he's he's good at keeping us on track, uh, even though he's a bit of a spaz sometimes. But he really is the the muse behind the, all the magic. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, some good topic ideas to talk about today, Maverick. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while. You were our first uh, first recorded guest, and uh, I haven't had a chance to really have you back on since then. Uh, so glad to have you back. And then, obviously, Mad Hatter, long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, this is a privilege and an honor. I'm super stoked to finally be on the other side of things. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, so episode, I think this is 15 now. So who would have thought we'd make it to 15 episodes? Um, I think there's a couple of big ones. Uh, I know we were talking about a few last night there, uh, Hatter. And then Ninja, I sent you a few of the ones that I had on my mind as well. Um, The first big one that I'll just kick to you you both... uh, happened yesterday afternoon is Israel really started finally their kind of big push uh, into Gaza. Seems like shaping operations right now. What are your guys' thoughts? Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting to see everything unfold. I mean, I I heard kind of where you guys talked um, about the Israel-Hamas conflict originally and just thoughts overall. I agree this being just one of the most devastating conflicts I think the world has seen in a long time Um, as far as the ground push. um, And we did see last night that they actually did start ground incursion um, into Northern Gaza. It's just been very interesting to see a lot of tactics that have been used um, in other recent conflicts and other AORs that the Israelis for better or for worse have been applying to this conflict as well. Like what? Um, so we have seen just like very, very big IO presence, like we saw with, uh, Ukraine and Russia, um, which has just been very prevalent in the first, um, Mm. first stage over the past few weeks. And then like 
tactics with going after um, what's important culturally. So for this conflict, something that I've noticed as far as hostages are concerned, as far as really atrocities are concerned on the Hamas side of things, they're really going after the women population. I mean, Israel is one of the last matriarchal societies Mm -hmm. in the world. And so they're really trying to go after what is going to uh, really go after the will to fight for the IDF. Um, yeah. We've seen Ukraine do this, you know, going after Russia's will to fight with like Russian soldiers on the front lines uh, in the Yukon conflict as well. Yeah, and that's an interesting point. I hadn't considered the matriarchal element and the uh, the element of, of taking predominantly female hostages and killing all the men uh, that occurred. That was what, it was October 7th, so 21 days ago, three weeks now. I think in a lot of ways, uh, Hamas really miscalculated. They actually admitted that yesterday in an interview to, I believe, the Financial Times. Uh, they admitted that they really didn't expect the kind of response that they've gotten, which is hilarious because you're a dumb fuck if you didn't expect someone to retaliate the way they have. Um, they also didn't expect the U.S. to uh, step up so strongly. And it really, I mean, outside of Russia invading Ukraine, talk about another you know, major strategic miscalculation for the organization if they really had other goals in mind. Yeah, I mean, that begs the question, too, of just like externally, what does that mean um, for the other relationships, because we have seen um, Lebanese Hezbollah involvement. Um, the le- lesbian the, Hezbollah? I had to pause because I've said that so many times. The lesbian Hezbollah. Um, yes, the um, Lebanese Hezbollah in the north um, and, you know, just other IAMGs in the region. And, um, you know, other threat actors in the region that have prevalence. So really, who's provoking this is my question. Um, And everything looking at timing. I mean, there's already huge conflict going on in UCOM. There has been heightened tensions in the South China Sea, as there always are, and just continued escalatory um, postures. And so just provoking the U.S. right now in CENTCOM when we already just downgraded from CENTCOM. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we all just pulled out of Afghanistan. We're we're trying so hard. Trying so hard to pull out. You know what I mean? Yeah, but the pullout game, not strong enough. You know what I mean? Like, now we're back. So It really is that that college humor video that came out in, like, 2015, maybe? Where it was uh, like an Iraqi general talking to an American general. And he's like, hey, uh, I thought nine months ago you said you pulled out. And he's like, yeah, we did. And he's like, oh, I think you left something behind. And that's that's it. Like we try and leave the Middle East and constantly get pulled back in. Uh, Ninja, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the agent provoc- provocateurs in this uh, and who might be kind of seeking to benefit? Yeah, so... Uh, Mav, I, I think Iran isn't the only winner here in this conflict. Uh, you look at I agree. Uh, previous history, Hamas has had a history with Russia. Uh, yep. Before. I mean, the I think the leader of Hamas or Iran just met in Russia with Putler himself. For their attack, just further exacerbating issues with the United Nations, like security. Yeah. Uh, you know, Putler's country is uh, one of the five permanent members, and here they are, one, engaging in a, a horrible conflict with the Ukrainian people who are suffering uh, in Europe. Then you have the Israelis suffering at the hands of Hamas, which is an, just really just an extension of the IRGC that uh, Cowboy Dan covered in, I think, the previous episode. Yep. Um, so... You've got them benefact uh, them as benefactors, but I also think China wins here uh, as well. And the thought process that I think I've talked to you about is Hamas may have had the idea, but they still needed material support, planning support, financial support, and those financial financial support pathways come from Turkey and Qatar. They yep. come from Iran, and I think in the case of Iran, Iran could have, have probably afforded to bankroll. And I have no evidence right now to back this up. It's just hunches at this point. Uh, but Iran bankrolls Hamas to help 
with these attacks, whether it's through material or fi uh, the fi financial aspect. And one of their closest economic allies is China. Absolutely. Chinese money being pumped into Iran that is then siphoned or filtered or laundered, however you want to word it, into Hamas, which uses a mix of Iranian, Chinese, and Russian weapons. Yep. And to attack these, what I think the casualty counts at 1,400. I've, I've seen it because yeah. 13 and 1,400. Yep. Families, uh, to Mad Hatter's point, like largely women, largely children, uh, international people at a rave. Then they yep. film on it, defile their bodies, post it on the internet for likes. Uh, and the international condemnation from the average people was not as great as you would expect it to be. Yeah, in fact, it was the opposite in a lot of cases. Yeah, the fact that people celebrate that as like that's pro-Palestinian, I'd, I'd caution that. Uh, you know, having been to school in the Middle East at one point in my life, uh, the threshold for what is pro-Palestinian is very different from what you know, Starbucks sipping barista loser in California might think, or uh, someone off in the Netherlands or Denmark. Yep. You have different perspectives from countries like France, who has like one of the largest like immigrant populations from like the Middle East and, and Africa. I mean, they've had to, to declare a law that you can't have pro-Palestinian protests in their country <laughs> because it's so, so dangerous. But I yeah. think that Russia was able to win here probably the next most to Iran because now the international tension is away from the Russia-Ukraine conflict and they just launched another offensive in Avdivka uh, with several thousand, potentially several thousand dead already, yep. uh, Russian soldiers, armor losses. You're looking at potentially another Bakhmut. Yeah, I've, I've, seen, I've seen counts of uh, at least one, possibly t uh, two brigades worth of vehicles alone destroyed uh and those are from you know pretty credible uh bee encounters who who track this stuff uh and that's not to to count the amount of lives lost with that i've frankly it's it's uh disheartening to even keep watching these the drone footage of just more and more russian bodies piling up um so i, I didn't want to cut you off there i just did want to say i completely agree because uh, one piece that hit the news and then quickly disappeared off the news is that um Earlier this year, we pulled out of Israel. We had a stockpile of 155 millimeter artillery ammunition that we owned that was stored there uh, in case of conflict. We pulled that out to send to Ukraine, uh, which they desperately need uh, that artillery ammunition. And then we actually returned that ammunition back. We rerouted it back to Israel for their ground offensive into Gaza. Classic Uno reverse move. But... <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it, now I think this is the issue because, you know, you have the national security advisor and the president of the United States saying like, oh, we can be in two places at once. Yep. Well, according to the media and TikTok and documentaries like The Social Dilemma and books like Like War, we don't have the attention span for shit. So no, and, that and, and, and we don't have the, we don't have the resources. I mean, it, it hurts to say it, but. We do not currently have the military industrial complex to support all the all the demands and requests from both Israel and Ukraine at the same time, while also preparing for conflict with uh, not Russia, I'm sorry, China. Yeah, let alone China <clears throat> sees this as a optimal time window to advance their own agenda, being as the U.S. has its hand in so many other conflicts in so many other areas of the world right now. There is very, very minimal that realistically would be able to do to respond. And that's, I mean, for me personally, I, my heart goes out to like Taiwan and the other countries in the South China Sea right now because I would be looking at this like, are you kidding me? Like, this is one more thing that my like protector has to worry about outside of me. Like, I would get stressed out. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And I will say it's interesting, and Ninja, you're probably more the expert on uh, Indo-Pacific relations. Um, so the, the U.S. came out pretty strongly in support of the Philippines after the incident last week with the uh, Chinese Coast Guard ramming a Philippine resupply ship. And the uh, U.S. said, basically, if, if this uh, you know continues, we will uh, honor the self uh, mutual self-defense agreement we have with the Philippines. And then you've got Winnie the Pooh himself coming out of China saying, 
it's time to actually have serious talks with the U.S. Like we're we're willing to have these relations. What do you think about that? You know, I, there, so there's a point where competition is what like the government has emphasized alleged. You know, through, the, through these past several years. Yep. But I think with the collision last week, that was the overt Chinese move right there. Absolutely. And it was caught on camera in 4K. Exactly. And and one thing I want the listeners to know is don't let that Chinese misinformation, disinformation fool you. Their goal is to try and be the economic power in the world and where they can militarily take control. Xi Jinping has said that himself uh, and demonstrated that in his talking points to the previous Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. He's been pretty much on the same tune since probably before he was the premier at already uh, or the prime minister, whatever the fuck they, Winnie the Pooh wants to call himself these days. Yeah. But um, to me, where did what the question I would pose back is what resources do we continue to flow back to the Indo Pacific? If, you know, we put two carrier strike groups in, Italy. we put one in the Gulf and one in the East Mediterranean, or at least there will be one yep. in the Gulf. Those, every carrier strike group that's, out of the Pacific, less ideal because think about it. There's not a lot of places for an air force or the army to operate out of in that region. Yeah. But the U.S. standing ironclad with the Philippines, I do I that uh, as a key with our diplomacy, not just Filipinos, but also we've. I think it just came out today or this morning that we're looking at expanding and building two new ports north of the island of Luzon, like right there between Taiwan. Um, and the northern main island of Luzon in the Philippines. Like, mm-hmm. the, I'm, I can't say it, but the island starts with a B. And, You're going to sound racist if you try. Yeah. And so um, that's that's something to keep in mind. I worry that the Russia-Ukraine conflict, the Israel-Hamas conflict, as it starts to spiral, like we're seeing the, the presence of the Israeli troops that Matt Hatter mentioned, they're going to be around this time. I think that came out earlier, late last night, earlier today. They're, they're not leaving now. They're staying in Gaza Strip. Then that's the, the plus up of munitions, weapons, material, etc. Then you've got Ukraine. They still got to fight a war uh, to expel the rest of the invaders. So that's more resources that are committed to those regions. And I just don't see how the pivot to the Pacific, the seven that I saw that ended up with more troops and resources in the Middle East, I don't really see how that ends out well. For our diplomatic process in the South Asian nations, or even the Northeast Asian allies like Korea and Japan, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Mad Hatter, I hate to ask this because I know you've got a child who sounds upset in the background, but I th- I'm pretty sure that the app keeps cutting Ninja's mic whenever there's background noise, and so that's why he's coming through choppy. Okay, I'm gonna Are take you... a quick two second. No he worries. Is, he is falling asleep. He's just lulling himself to sleep. So I'm just going to check on him. I have him on the monitor so I can see him. So I'm just going to close this door. You're so good. Okay. Sorry. I was thinking that. I was like, I wonder if that's why. Because it is all of a sudden coming in choppy. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Hold on. I'll be right back. <laughs> but yeah, I, there, there's definitely something to be said there, Maverick. There is. Um, I, you know, there's a couple of key elements that I would say militarily are still, uh, I would say, significant that aren't going to Ukraine or Israel. And that's going to be long-range standoff munitions, right? Minus ATACMs, but we're giving them the old stuff with that. And we're phasing it out for the um, precision strike missile here in the next few years anyway. Right. That being said, we're still giving a ton of um, JDAMs to Israel, which they need, because you're trying to do an air campaign into an urban area. You can't be just carpet bombing we're going to need those two eventually you could you could carpet bomb um you could go the dressing path i don't think israel should no <laughs> you know i think the death count is allegedly at about six thousand or almost seven thousand if you use the hamas forces yeah i think that's only going to get worse moving forward and something that um has only recently started to come up in the mainstream media with like Reuters and BBC is what happens when the Israeli ground forces hit the tunnels. It's going to be 
horrible. I mean, that, that's going to be Iwo Jima round two, except with modern weapons. Oh, yeah. And a lot of those tunnels lead right below the critical infrastructure that you, Hitman, and Cowboy Dan talked about, like hospitals, schools, mosques. That's something that has been missing in the larger news as well, is the fact that Hamas deliberately utilizes infrastructure that we as the West have outlawed for war as command yep. control, as logistic supply points, as areas to re- rest and reorganize. That's yeah, one of, one of the... can't conceive. To us, that's horrible. But to them, it's, no, that makes sense because the Westerners will get mad at the Israelis if, if, it blow us, if they blow it up and we play straight into their hands. Yeah. Uh, one of the big ones there is the Shifa hospital. And yeah. that is the IDF has put out a, uh, they put out a pretty cool computer generated graphic that I'm sure is based off of their intelligence collection, debriefings, and then their own forays, previous, you know, very limited ground forays into Gaza to understand that tunnel network. Um, and it's like an ant colony there underneath the, this hospital complex of exactly what you said, right? Uh, Weapon storage, meeting rooms, conference rooms, command and control, barracks, all of these things that allow people to just move around that very dense urban area without popping up above ground until they're absolutely ready to. And uh, it was actually very entertaining. I don't particularly care for Ben Shapiro's personality, but he, uh, he got into an argument with somebody on Twitter about that. And... They were like, oh, bullshit that they use this hospital for command and control. You're just, that's just, you know, Jewish propaganda. And he was like, no. And he actually pointed to a Wikipedia article that has had a citation from 2014 from the newspaper article that talks about Hamas's command and control underneath that hospital. It's, yeah, it's just baffling how the Israelis have just been losing this inform- this battle for in the information sphere. But to your point, you're absolutely right. That is, this is also not a com, like an uncommon tactic. So ISIS Philippines, when they took over portions of Marawi City, they mm-hmm. built tunnels through houses and residential areas and uh, in schools and other things that the Filipinos, uh, their scout rangers and their their military forces had to fight through pretty violently and clear. Yeah. Without U.S. air support, <laughs> they had to go in there the hard way and do it. Yeah. And so I think if we're taking that as like one level, uh, this what we what I would expect the IDF to encounter it with Hamas and the Gaza Strip is going to be infinitely higher. Yeah, it's I I don't see how they really defang Hamas without leveling that city, and that's that's kind of a sad truth. But it is going to be block by block, and then backtracking to fight that block again because reinforcements have come through tunnel networks that were previously unknown to you. And it's, yeah, it's going to be a lot of Israeli casualties and a massive amount of civilian casualties. Um, I, I, I guess this is kind of a, maybe a Western bias that I just don't understand if you are a average citizen in Gaza and I've seen reports that Hamas is preventing them from leaving I don't know how true that is or not, but let's say it's not true, just for the sake of the argument. If you're an average citizen there, and the Israelis say, move south, like stay in Gaza, but move south, why do you not move south? Like, you know that pain train is coming. Yeah, I think the 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 reason some people might not move south, at least at this point, is they may not have, they may not know. If you think about the shortage of electricity, food, water, gas, etc., people can't keep their charge, their phones charged, or However, they receive the news forever. So I'd hope one that the Israelis are messaging it not just through. They have Twitter. been, yeah, they've been doing pamphlet drops pretty yeah. aggressively. Um, but you know, I think there's some of this is as terrible as it is. Is the Palestinians in Gaza elected Hamas into power in 2006? Yep. Yeah, yeah their their uh, chickens are coming home to roost, if you will, and. The other piece, you know, let's say, you know, my for the sake of the argument statement, let's say that Hamas actually is preventing civilians from leaving. Then how in the world do you have two million Palestinian citizens who are like, yeah, we're OK with these people still being kind of the voice in the front of our cause when they're, they're literally overtly using us as human shields? I think that's a very fair question that should be explored by reporters and journalists that are forward for sure. Yeah. And 
I'll, I will fully admit, I just, I am a Westerner, man. I grew up in the United States and I don't have any idea what it's like to live in a part of the world where there is a threat of conflict any given day. So I don't understand their cognitive mindset. Yeah, and I think that's key in the that, that information environment. The, the Westerner in Europe, in the United States, hell, even in certain regions of like the global south where you, you have a fairly stable life, we just can't conceptualize that. And you, Cowboy Dan, and, and Hitman covered some of that in your previous episode about the safety and security that we're accustomed to is very different from what the Palestinians and the Israelis experience, but basically in similar ways, surrounded by enemies. No one really wants you there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Palestinians have tried to immigrate into other countries before, whether by choice or by force. They've started civil wars in some of those countries, which is like mm-hmm. and then sent back to Gaza or the West Bank. So yeah. Yeah. It's disgusting all around. And I feel for the average person who just is stuck suffering, whether it's at the hands of Hamas or at the end of an Israeli airstrike. But really, it's just the innocent people that are just, I want to get on with my life and provide means for my family to live a better one. That Right. And uh, Mad Hatter, it sounds like you're back. And I, I am. Uh, don't want to exclude you, so I'm going to toss this one your way uh, for discussion is kind of the role that information, and Ninja's done a good job of characterizing it, uh, information, misinformation, disinformation has played. Uh, Obviously, we saw it play out in Ukraine. The difference being that almost, uh, you know, to a T, the Western world has really lined up behind Ukraine very unanimously. The weird part that we're seeing with this conflict is call it the fringe elements who are like, fuck the Ukrainians, like go Russia because we don't trust the the mainstream media and the people in charge. And so therefore we're going to support whatever the opposite they say is worth supporting. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's, we've seen, obviously we've seen, you know, massive protests and, and kind of grassroots movements across the West in support of the Palestinians, not just their cause, but 51% of Americans between the ages of 18 and 24 are and I'm going to phrase this very explicitly. They're not the the polling question was not do you support the Palestinian cause, it was do you believe Hamas's actions were justified on October seventh, and fifty one percent of Americans said yes. Oh no! All right. Well, <laughs> um, yes, I definitely. I mean, it's concerning all around, even just to hear that. Um, I mean, it's it's really, it yeah, it's really hard to hear that over half of the country, especially when you phrase the question that way, because Hamas is designated a terrorist organization. And you would think that the average American is sympathetic to counterterrorism. I mean, we right. had our own 9-11 moment and this is theirs, as as you guys have discussed, as the news has, has reported. And mm-hmm. so um, it's super hard just to see that. And I really think in specifically when we talk about that 18 to 24 category, that 18 to 24 demographic, it's been crucial as, as I've seen historically, it's the first to get the message out that really resonates with that audience, not Mm. necessarily if that message is accurate or not. And so in my personal opinion, this generation, this particular demographic is extremely vulnerable to misinformation campaigns, disinformation campaigns, you know, however you want to put it, because what they see essentially becomes a copy paste on TikTok or on their Instagram, you know, story or whatever it may be. And then the more they see that message, the more it continues to further that narrative, countering, you know, whatever the truth may be, countering whatever information comes about later on. Yeah. So one, um, you know, not to maybe maybe we delve a little bit into conspiracy theory land here, um, since we already talked about China being a winning party in all this, right? Yes. Uh, and their role. And if you look at social media use and what apps are most used, I, I would say TikTok is probably highest or almost, or you know, maybe tied with Instagram among that age demographic. And I'd say it's you know pretty reasonable to, to to make the argument TikTok is controlled. Their algorithm is controlled by the Chinese government, right? I, I know right. they've made claims and statements that it's you know 
America, the American TikTok has its own servers and all that stuff. Bullshit, right? They, somebody has their fingers on that that pulse, and I've seen uh, not through TikTok since I don't use that that witchcraft, but I've seen <laughs> I've seen reposts from TikTok, and the the, the just the insanity, right? And for me, it's, you look at it and you're like, this is clearly bullshit. Clearly, somebody is just making up facts. Mm-hmm. But if you are getting that and then you, you mirror that with uh, however many of these, these people in that demographic are in colleges and universities, and we've seen a lot of, um, a lot of these get funding pulled over the past two weeks by uh, serious donors, talking on the order of you know, $50 million donors, pulling funding because that university, its uh, student organizations are not coming out and condemning Hamas. Yeah. That is a very potent weaponization of information, in my opinion. Do you guys agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, can y'all still hear me? Yeah, you yeah. Uh, you switched over to your Bluetooth? Yeah, I'm in the, I'm, I'm driving now, but to your point there, Maverick, the weaponization of information is key to the future of warfare. I'd say the SUA, the small UAS that we saw in U- Ukraine, now we've seen it, we've seen it exported. I think that's important for the kinetic aspect. Yep. But to Matt like she's saying, I, there's two very vivid examples of disinformation that jump out to me within the past two weeks. One was the fact that Elon Musk tweeted yes. that, you know, that image of Zelensky overlaid with the kid squeezing his face. And it's like when you haven't asked for yep. $5 billion in aid, that came from a pro-Russia account. Yeah. Multiple, multiple reputable sources have traced that back to a pro-Russian account that is also attributed to Russian troll farms back in the, the Russian Federation. Yep. So this dumbass just tweeted something that was very insensitive because those billions of dollars go to restoring the lives of the Ukrainians who aren't currently on the front line, but also procuring supplies for those who are giving their lives to defend the way of life that we get to enjoy here. They just yep. want the opportunity to have it for themselves. Yep. The and he... very vivid example... Oh, go ahead. I was going to just, while we're on Elon Musk... He also he tweeted and then and then uh, deleted, um, but he basically said, you know, for Israel the Israel Gaza conflict. This was uh, probably October seventh or eighth. He tweeted out two accounts, um, one which is known to be just inaccurate and literally just copy and paste off of any Telegram channel they can get their hands on. Uh, the other has a similar name to a credible account, but is a very uh, anti-Zionist account, like very anti-Semitic account. And so he yeah, tweeted he yeah. tweeted that out. So clearly, I don't think he was necessarily doing. I don't think he does these things maliciously. I think he's a bit of a moron, and is like, oh, this is funny, or I'm being helpful. And it's like, no, dude, like this is very hurtful. You don't understand the damage, which is ironic. You own Twitter. You don't understand the damage that information can do for a conflict. Yes. Right. I mean, look at look at nowadays, the demographic that you mentioned, Matt Hatter, 18 to 24, they're probably the most vulnerable to cyberbullying than ever in history, right? Like you yeah. see teenage death, suicide, depression at its highest point ever. And now you've got these this weaponization of information targeted straight at that demographic. And at yeah. the same time, you not only are you influencing that 18 to 24 demographic, but you can hit the older demographic who consume their news through like New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, et cetera. And I use the New York Times as an example for that second point I wanted to make, which was yeah. they came out within what, like hours claiming that that was an Israeli airstrike that hit the first hospital. Yep. And they, their entire source citation process was pro-Hamas accounts. Yes, it was. one. And they sent like a six paragraph, not even an apology, just like, yeah, our journalism team and our editor team may or may not have done not the best job on that, but you should keep trusting us. But think about all the people who got upset or fired up or like you mentioned, funding withdrew, funding was realigned. People may have even committed hate crimes derived from those things. Yes. All because they they made one mistake instead of taking their time like the Institute for the Study of War or the Telegraph, who will, they'll provide an initial, hey, this may or may not have happened. We haven't been able to verify. And then hours later or days later, they'll come out and be like, yep, actually, we were able to verify through more reputable sources. Or, hey, that thing we mentioned, we still haven't been able to verify. Or if we have seen data, it comes from this 
you know, pro-Hamas, pro-Israel, pro-Russia, pro-Ukraine, specific account types. I think the caveat of information moving forward is key to the future. Thoughts on that from Matt Hatter and yourself, Matt? Yeah, Matt Hatter, you take that one first. That's some really good points. Yeah, there is a lot to unpack there. But to your point, I do want to jump back to the generational aspect of it, because really, I mean, it is influential, especially when you talk about certain cultures and how certain cultures view their different generations. Like in in Asian culture, um, you know, older generations are revered with the utmost respect. And to be quite honest with you, I really think that Western culture that has been lost to a point where the more prominent generation is that 18 to 24 demographic, yet they are the most vulnerable to these things like cyberbullying and, you know, not vetting their sources and just kind of taking at the first word, whatever they hear first is what sticks. And Mm -hmm. even if, you know, more accurate information comes out later on, they're going to remember what's memorable, which is the first thing they heard. Yeah, one of the letters that I saw from, uh, it was he was a former ambassador to China and Russia, U.S. ambassador, and very wealthy donor to uh, Penn State. And then after all the shenanigans at Penn State in support of Hamas, he withdrew his funding and he had a letter in there. And a piece in there, it was, I don't remember the exact verbiage, but it was, it was basically the point of these colleges are turning into daycares, except that the children can fire the adults. Right. Like these 18 to 24 year olds can can absolutely like through, uh, you know, social movements, get professors fired, get administrators fired uh, if they disagree with their points. And same with, you know, you see speakers coming onto campus and getting, you know, protested off campus in support of free speech, if you will. They get protested off. And I think that's that's very concerning to me. And uh, Ninja, I'm really glad you brought up that hospital uh, incident because that was actually the impetus for my whole wanting to discuss this misinformation, disinformation, because I watched that thing play out kind of from start to finish. Uh, The initial report, Israel bombs a hospital, 500 dead. And then, you know, and you see it. There was initial live stream footage of, of an explosion, what appeared to be a fairly... Uh, spectacular explosion, right? Very large, very bright explosion. And then bits and pieces start trickling out. And I will say credit to some of these these nerds on Twitter who they don't get paid for it. They just do it as a hobby who started aligning different live streams by timestamps and looking at other accounts and like, well, Hamas just said that they were going to fire their largest ever rocket barrage. And so let's align that to this time. Okay, there's the rockets. Oh, you can see an Israel. You can see an explosion in midair from an Israeli interceptor, likely an Israeli interceptor or a malfunctioning rocket, right over the hospital. We can geolocate launch points. They did a phenomenal job. All of this is happening while the New York Times is publishing that story, and then you have sitting, you know, U.S. congressional representatives who are saying Israel is committing war crimes by targeting hospitals which only, only leads to more disinformation, right? Because uh, to Mad Hatter's point, right, the law of primacy, the first thing that you hear is the thing that sticks with you. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here. There are still people, even though the evidence is out, you've got the U.S. intelligence community coming out with uh, high confidence, saying it was a Hamas rocket. You've got the Israelis providing the same information to the U.N. and saying it was a Hamas rocket all of these organizations coming out and then we finally get pictures of the hospital and you're like, dude, that's a parking lot. There's no way 500 people were killed. The crater is, you know, the size of a, an encyclopedia and about as deep as two encyclopedias. That's not a 500 pound JDAM or 2000 pound JDAM that an Israeli aircraft dropped. Yeah. Right. I'm and glad. the way some of the, like that, that video was just insane. But I, I think to your point, it just, Spread like wildfire when people don't verify. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's awful. Over to you, Matt Hatter. I was just going to say, Mav, I'm happy that you brought up uh, U.S. Congress in this, just because I'm interested to see now that um, we have a Speaker of the House again, who is very openly not for Ukrainian aid. 
However, the Democrats are very insistent upon marrying Ukrainian and Israeli aid in the same package deal because they think that's how they're going to be able to get it through. I'm curious to see how this is going to play out because it is going to force a decision to be made and how that's going to have a trickle effect into um, foreign relations and really key relations with, you know, countering in the key competition space with China and Russia, that's really going to yeah. be the message. So I'm curious to see what you and Ninja um, think about that. I So I think it's ludicrous that you have to marry those two aid packages. I think they should. There's why, why can you not just have two separate aid packages? Maybe I don't fully understand the intricacies of how congressional aid gets approved, but it seems like you can just copy and paste and have it as two separate. So there's two separate debates. Well, there's unwaived. I think more often than not, um, at least in Congress, people can get behind supporting Israel. I think that there is still a question, at least in what I've read, there's more of a question on continuing to support, continuing to support Ukraine. Um, And so from an aid perspective. And so I think from the Dem side of the house, they're thinking they can get a twofer by just yep. packaging them in together because people do want to support Israel, that then they'll continue to push forth aid to Ukraine that way, even though Mike, good old Mikey boy, has been extremely clear <laughs> on his position. He has. He's, he's reversed on the Ukraine aid. He actually supports it now. So that was probably oh, a... When, when did he come out with that? I did not see that. Yesterday or today. So it was probably a deal he had to strike to get the position. I, it, it goes back to that, that weirdness where I think people like us look at this and say, these, like morally speaking, these are two very similar conflicts. These are two countries fighting for their existence. Yeah. They are both aligned with our interests. So why shouldn't we support them? Versus on the political side, it gets, it gets much murkier and dirtier because there's political interests at play versus just the pure human, uh, like human values aspect of it. And that's frustrating to watch. What I worry is, you know, today it's Ukraine, Israel aid is, is tied together. Is it going to be Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan aid tied together in the future? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I don't see why there couldn't be a debate, but unfortunately, uh, to your point, Matt Hatter, just listening, I've, I've been listening to a lot of the, the coverage on the race or battle in the speaker for the speaker position from foreign news. And um, a lot of that anti, almost like anti-Ukraine support for Ukraine, I largely on the Republican side, largely on the yep. far right in the Trump camp. And yep. what's unfortunate is that they are, they are, the, they are exactly what happened when someone has become obsessed with disinformation, they have been yeah. taken off of the center line. I, I call it belief gate pull off. You know, it's, it's more <laughs> just like off, um, yeah. it starts small and it's not noticeable to you because that's its job. It's supposed to subvert you. It's supposed to hit that very, it's not as obvious, but slowly and over time, I inject something a little bit more and a little bit more left or right or whatever. Uh, further and further away from the truth, further and further away from your core belief, and I've eventually walked you off of where you were before, and now I've got you in the camp that I want you to be in. And the fact that that's happening in the U.S. government is very dangerous. That's a very dangerous precedent moving forward that I think we as a society need to address if our government representatives can't, because it's not just us. We have lost I would argue, and I, I wonder. I'd love to hear Hitman's perspective when he's done vacationing. Yeah. <laughs> when, how does this work in the global South? Like in South America, one of the most common news sources down there, uh, just a quick search, is Russia Today. If that once upon a time CNN was one of the primary news sources uh, for like, and I'm talking like country external. Right. So you're talking about South America. If the first, if you're clicking through channels at your hotel or whatever and it starts with your local news and moves to your national news, and then the first foreign news source you see is Russia Today, how does that impact our ability to to build allies and partners? How does that impact decision makers when they choose to consume their news from different sources? Because Mm -hmm. they're they're getting those beliefs just slowly worked off and pulled away from the Western 
led order, the international order, which has allowed the world to thrive in peace and prosperity in most cases um, for the past, you know, 70, 80 years. And curious on y'all's thoughts. Well, to your point about decision makers, it doesn't matter where decision makers get their news from. Well, it does, but what matters is if your population is getting their news and you are a loose democracy uh, in some form or fashion, your population gets their news from Russia today, that is a population that's primed for action to you know, mass protests. That forces a decision maker's hand. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you know the truth. You can't you know, eloquently state that truth to your people in a way that counteracts the, the belief gate pull-off that's very well stated that's taken place amongst your population, then boom, like you've, you, you have no choice. You either get elected out of office or you get, uh, you, you side with them and Russia furthers their agenda or China furthers their agenda. It's really an underground revolution type approach. I mean, because someone could be, um, an excellent, you know, lawmaker, decision maker, something contrary to your country's propaganda or you know your doctrine that you're trying to like enforce on a global stage all you have to do like don't go toe-to-toe with them politically or economically all you have to do is over time play the long game play the chess game like China's doing right now and slowly feed these seeds of doubt sow these seeds of doubt into that society and let it grow on its own god damn I wrote a grad school paper on this Oh, literally what you just stated. It's, it's beautiful to hear it restated that way because it was probably better than my actual paper. But uh, <laughs> two level game theory is a, is a, it's a game theory from a political scientist, uh, Robert Putnam. And he basically it was it was for NGOs and civilian groups to advocate for their their peers under another government by going to that government rather than going government to government. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was the idea behind it. And so my my whole premise was reverse two level games where a government can influence another government by going to that government's civilians, to their yeah. population. And that's exactly what you just stated much, much more eloquently than I ever could. That, yeah, you want to you want to fuck up the United States government or the Brazilian government or whatever. You don't have to actually engage with them diplomatically and have blackmail and all sorts of stuff against them. You just have to be able to influence their population. Which, honestly, especially depending on the country, most of these countries, I mean, look at the education level. Look at the literacy level. When you're dealing with a country that their literacy and education level is less than, you know, 75%, 50%, etc., it becomes significantly easier to overtake them in the information space and become the dominant power, become the partner of choice like we've seen in so many parts of the world already that's continuing to rise by China and Russia. Yeah. So going back to Gaza, because this is a, a, a prime spot to bring this home, right, is this is a lose-lose for Israel, sadly, because what we talked about with Cowboy Dan was average age, right? The average age or median age, maybe, is 18 in Gaza, which is the prime age for radicalization. Yes. Right. Starting at maybe 12 to 14 years old through your mid 20s, the point where you start you start being able to, uh, to, to lose ground on radicalizing somebody is the point where they start having a family and a career or you know some sort of stability in their life, and they're like you know what I'm not going to go throw a rock at a tank because that's not going to go well, and I've got people that I care about. Yeah. And so so Palestine demographically, the Palestinian people in Gaza are primed for that, but also interestingly. Their IQ, and this uh, this is going to sound fucking racist, but their IQ, and this is a few years old, but it's it is like I think one or two standard deviations below the United States uh, in in average IQ, and that speaks to their their education. And Israel is probably as much to blame as anybody for that. But be that as it may, what is the the one way? What is the primary way to counter disinformation and radicalization? Is critical thinking. Yeah. And that is what that is what IQ probably most effectively measures. It doesn't measure your actual intelligence, just your ability to think critically, recognize patterns, all those things. Absolutely. Um, and I do have a source for that. 
I, I can find a source for that that says that their IQ is lower. That's not me being <laughs> racist, I swear. I mean, when I was talking sounds... about literacy rates, it, again, this is going to sound racist. I'm not trying to be, but I was literally going to point out Africa as, like, yeah. although there are certain, like, cities within countries in Africa that are extremely well-educated. Um, like, Nairobi, for example, is, like, extremely well-educated, yeah, there's parts within, you know, the more rural areas and stuff that just don't have access. And like, yeah, again, that's not too racist. Like that's backed up by numbers and polls and demographics. But it is. It's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. OK, just just because I didn't want to sound horrible. So in 24, because <laughs> I, I realize how it sounds. It sounds like I'm being a white supremacist. Um, average IQ sample was 85 uh, as of 2014, 85, which, 85, which puts them in the, if I'm reading this right, like the 13th percentile. Yeah. That's significantly low. Yeah. And like I said, Israel's got a, a piece in this as well. Like they have, they have, you know, done some things to oppress the Palestinian people. Mm-hmm. And the, the piece I've, I've said it, I probably said it last, uh, last week with Cowboy Dan. You can hold two things to be true at once. You can hold true that Israel has has not been a great uh, partner to the Palestinian people, and they've oppressed them in ways probably beyond what they should have, right? They, they should have found better ways to integrate the Palestinian people and to meet them on their own turf, give them some compromising solutions. Don't get me started on Yasser Arafat and the PLO, but all that being said, you can, <laughs> you can believe that, what I just said, and you can still say, that Hamas is a fucking murdering terrorist organization who specifically targeted, to Mad Hatter's point earlier, they specifically targeted people in the Israeli society that would have the most impact on that society. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, and I, I absolutely agree. And I'd say another place where this, this information has come to rear its head and generate effects is where you guys brought up Africa. That how many? Like, I think it's eight coups now. Yeah. In the Sahel yes. region. Um, yeah. We start. We we started talking a, African coups on this podcast, and then we gave up. I if I yeah, had I mean, a dime for every point, African how do you? coup, you'd have like eight dimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, uh, Ninja. It sounds like you might have just gotten to your final destination. Yeah. So I, I, I want to be twenty minutes left. Okay, I, I don't. I want to be respectful of your time, uh, unless your dad wants to talk, and then he can he can come on and share his views. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he, they're not here yet. But uh, oh, okay. Uh, Ninja zero one and Ninja zero two are on their way. So okay. Be here in like twenty minutes. So. Yeah, um, we're uh, we're trying to convince Hitman uh, Hitman zero two to come on the podcast. <laughs> oh, she would be great. Oh, oh yeah. I would definitely but, uh, be invited for that episode. Yeah. I I need to find better software we can have like more people on because we could we could get turn this into a madhouse. Oh, Just I would like, love it. Uh you know, you do something like the the Ukraine the latest podcast where we each have like our 5 minute segment on one question. Uh that would get wild. That would, oh, that wouldn't be a bad idea. That would be awesome. Just invite like all the all the co-co-hosts. Of yeah. the season, just for like a cute little capstone where it's just all the tea on all the questions, and it's just an absolute madhouse. The only rule is that Goose has to kill a forty before he starts his segment, <laughs> and then the only question he gets asked is about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. Oh my goodness! Yeah. That, you want to talk about conspiracy theories? Like that's a whole nother. Oh, so many. NFL, you you being dirty right now? It honestly is. I uh, mean, they are still about football, right? No. They only care about Taylor Swift. They only care about Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift just announced, and I'm not even like a Taylor Swift fan, to be quite honest with you. And I'm not a Chiefs fan either. The only reason I'm even involved is for fantasy football reasons. Otherwise, I would just. What, no invite? Um, it's not even my league, it's uh, Mad Hatter 2's. 
Okay. Um, no invite. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll relay the message. But, um, yeah, please do. He also never accepted my Xbox invite, so relay oh that as well. Okay, I will definitely relay that as well. But uh, Taylor Swift just announced that she's going to hold a private free concert for all Kansas City Chief uh, pass holders, season pass holders. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so it's just continuing to further this, like, the seats. I also found out, um, I read in an article, the seats that are right next to her box, typically you would think the closer you are to the field, the more expensive the tickets, right? Like, that makes sense. Um, oh, yeah, but the, the nosebleed seats below the box? Oh, my gosh. They're at, like, tenfold right now in surge pricing for, just so people can, like, get a glimpse of her. It's ridiculous. Oh. It's completely yeah, Someone just wants to smell her fart. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, watch her and uh, Jackson Mahomes do a fucking TikTok dance. No, thank you. That is not for me. Yeah, and the Chiefs have been getting away with some dirty football this season. Don't tell me they haven't. They really they have. have. They have been they have been having some calls missed, and then like when they was it the Jets that they played, and there was like calls on the Jets. It's, it's dirty. I'm just saying it's dirty. That's what I'm saying. Between that, NFL and has a vested stake. Don't get me started on all the conspiracy theories because there's so many that could be made. What other uh, what other conspiracy Swift theories is the you got? NFL commissioner. What did you say? <laughs> Taylor Swift Taylor is the, Swift new, is the new, new NFL commissioner. Honestly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was. I was sitting. I was getting my hair cut this week for the first time, and like. Seven three or months. four months like i had uh yeah i i had johnny depp hair for a while and it was horrible can we get photo evidence uh no no we're not getting photo evidence it was johnny depp length not johnny depp style let's just put it that way okay um but i was getting it cut and i was thinking about this because that's all i do is i think about the podcast and uh as i'm sitting there a cars for kids commercial comes on and I was like, why couldn't disinformation be, like, fun and lighthearted? Like, Cars for Kids only exists for cartels to get American-tagged vehicles south of the border. That would, be, that would be a very entertaining bit of misinformation. Why can't we go down that road? That would be fun. <laughs> Thinking of, like, all the different, like, misinformation campaigns you could leak just for, like, joyful purposes, not to, like, overthrow governments, but just to, like, have a nice laugh. Yeah, well, like, take a joyful cause and then just turn it slightly nefarious. Like, it's conspiracy theory land. Like, you know? um, what's the one? Make-A-Wish? Make-A-Wish, Make -A -Wish yeah. Foundation? Oh, this is going to get dark. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was suggesting it as a joyful organization. I didn't actually have a tagline. Uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation is a way for parents to euthanize their kids oh, and be no. <laughs> societally, societally <laughs> accepted by it. Yeah, I mean, like, if you don't like your kid, you just take it back to the kid's store, right, Matt Hatter? Oh, yeah, but you just return to sender. It's like yeah, when it's you like get Wayfair, spam right? mail. It's like when you get spam mail that says to Mad Hatter or current resident, and you just pop that bad boy right in the outgoing, and you're like, yeah, not today. That's yeah. basically the same. It's the same except, except you just have John Cena show up. Yeah. Put the, put the kid into a uh, pillowcase and... Away he goes into the night. Yeah, and then is he Santa Claus. <laughs> He's like the anti-Santa Claus. <laughs> he is the the dark Santa Claus. I don't know. I feel like dark Santa Claus has a different connotation. What connotation do you think dark Santa Claus has? I don't know. I feel like that's slightly racist. No. Oh, you're thinking of the 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 racist one that's like Santa Claus's partner in German culture, like the black Santa. No, there's like there's like a little like black boy who like accompanies Saint Nicholas. It was a, it was a whole episode in the office, and they actually deleted it off of like all social or all streaming platforms because it was blackface. Okay, yeah. See, that's so that's like what I thought you were talking about at first. No, I'm talking about like uh, what was the the movie? It was like uh, Violent Violent Night or something that came out last year. Um, I don't know. The movie's or vi yeah, Violent out. Night. It was like Santa Claus comes in in the middle of a home invasion. He like comes down the chimney and there's a like hostage situation going on and he just kills people. Oh, like elf on the shelf type hostage. 
<laughs> one of the all-time greatest. Literally the ghost. I don't know if hostage hostage jokes are the best thing right now. It's like 200 hostages in oh, Gaza. Well, now you're bringing me down. Yeah. Big facts. Johnny Raincloud over here. Big facts. Yeah. We were <laughs> having fun. It's um, slightly insensitive. Did I ever, by the way, did I ever tell you guys my Model UN story? No. Ninja? You were in Model UN? Uh, I was. Oh my god. It was a it was a class assignment in grad school. Well, I was a it was a mixed enrollment class, so it gets better. So there was like two grad students and then like all undergrads. And so it was Model UN. The scenario was North Korea. Instability, and so North Korea was not an assigned role, and then all other members of like the UN Security Council, and then like however many other people were in the class got like UN roles, and so let me just tell you, your boy here, he gets his little, he draws out of the hat to get his uh, his country assignment, China. Hell yeah. Dude, that's like putting Mike Tyson into the Little Leagues. That was like Bo Jackson going peewee football. Slam dunkaroonie. <laughs> These undergrads had no idea what was coming to them. And so I got, uh, I had a friend who was part of the, like, the U.S. side or the U.S. coalition. The guy who was representing the United States was a jock, like just absolute bro jock. And so like guaranteed, he just said no to anything I requested. But I had a girl who invited me to their first meeting, and she also added me to their Google Doc. She didn't realize that this would be nefarious. She added me to their Google Doc for their draft resolution. So I downloaded their resolution to my computer. So I had everything they were planning, drafted our own resolution, took it to the, the U.S. guy. He was like, ah, this is, you know, I, no, I'm not going to agree to anything you propose. And that's where the genius comes in, because... They don't. They didn't. They didn't understand North Korea. I'd studied North Korea. I've I've looked at that that map many a time. And so they're asking for you know. Well, North Korea has to give up all their nuclear weapons. That's it. Like zero sum game. And I was like, no, we're not going to do that. We we can't go to North Korea and tell them to give up their nuclear weapons. I was like, but how about this? North Korea commits to give up all of their silo-based intercontinental ballistic missiles as long as they can keep their mobile intercontinental ballistic missiles. And Brojock from the United States is like, well, that sounds like a pretty good compromise. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> Psych. Dumb bitch. We don't have any silo-based ballistic missiles. Pulled that Uno reverse. Yeah, Hell so yeah. we hit him with that and uh, walked out with a big win for North Korea and China. I hate, I hate myself for it in a certain sense, but... Oh man, it felt good to win. That's yeah, the only but time that China's move. What was that, uh, Ninja? You absolutely use China's move to steal intellectual property because, like, China can't actually invent stuff. I mean, they just steal everything from everybody else. Oh, um, dude, the the last so like smart. our negotiations stalled at one point in class, and like it was just like the teacher was like frustrated. She was like, "All right, we're gonna call a pause." so that you guys can go back to your little groups and discuss what's acceptable. And I just was like, and as a side note, if anyone wants to talk about the One Belt, One Road initiative, uh, we're going to have a sidebar over here for any future signatories who would like to join. <laughs> it was really? brutal. Like, they had no idea. Just wiped the floor you with them. Definitely got, just get the U.S. to sign the Belt and Road initiative in your Model UN. Oh, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been beautiful. Quite literally the coup d'etat. Oh, yeah. Those were the days. Yeah, hopefully none of them listen to this. <laughs> I am not, I do enjoy the artwork as well. I'm typically not a podcast girly. Um, I just, I can't, I can't just do podcasts. Some people are like big on podcasts. I just can't. However, this is the one exception that I make because it really does bring a smile to my day. And that's enough for me. Like, I, yeah, it would be really funny if this took off. Like, it would actually be hilarious because that would just tell you 
something about the crosscut of American society, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just insulting our <laughs> listeners right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the description suits it. We're just a bunch of randoms that are talking about stuff that we're semi-informed about um, occasionally. Yeah, we're informed just enough to be dangerous. Yeah, but like, like I wouldn't call myself an expert in anything, but I'm an expert in nothing. So. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. Exactly. Yeah, big facts. You're you're like a you're like a PJ of podcasting. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I mean, I wouldn't go that far. At least they know something. Like I would probably be like, if I could have a job description, it'd be like ninja, human disaster, and I would be happy with that. Oh, I've already got that one. Human disaster. Yeah, yeah I, I already, I already put, I already put, put a bit on that one. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. No, no. Honestly, I would say if we were gonna rate like hurricane style, like cat one, cat two, I'd consider myself like a cat two. Cat twos can be sneaky. They can increase quickly. And eh, no, like a cat three. Cat three, middle of the road. Are they going to calm it down? Or are they going to ramp up? You don't know. You know what I mean? That's spicy. true. Spicy. That's me, Matt Hatter. I bring the spicy tea. You know what I mean? Like, am I going to go for it? Am I going to sit this one out? You don't know. Whereas, like, I would say you, Maverick, cat five. Straight <laughs> to the dome. Every I just, time. I just Both remember that days. one day I was having a really bad morning. And some people tracked dirt in. Oh my god. Someone had to full send cat yeah. five. And honestly, I would say, I don't know, what what would you rate you, Ninja, on the hurricane category scale? I'm actually more curious what y'all would rate me at this point. This has been glorious. But I agree. I would say Maverick is definitely um like a cat five or six. They don't um, go to cat six. A, it's it caps at five. You lived in Oh yeah. Well, I thought they were going to add more categories for, like, the new superstorms that are happening because of climate change. No, that's just in the South Pacific. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. Say Somebody woke up. To, yeah, Mini Mad Hatter over here. Oh, hey, Mini Mad Hatter. Never yeah. met you in person. Yeah, he did just wake up. Pull up too low. Terrain. Well, enjoy that, and we'll chat soon. All right, sounds good. Hang in there. And I'll see you in December. See ya. Bye. Bye.